What we just did there is we went through the Christmas account. We had uh, the readings that took us straight through that, and then we sang the Christmas songs that go with uh, that. Um, and a lot about the, uh, the Christmas uh, story here that we, we, we looked at gives us the very um, beginning of it, doesn't it? We have um, a sort of uh, the, the, the angel visit, and you sort of have uh, the traveling of the Magi, and you've got the, um, you know, the, the baby born in the manger, and you have, you have all these things. And um, a couple weeks ago, Timothy Cross did a sermon in the evening titled The Curtain Raiser to Christmas took us to Luke chapter 1, and that's where Gabriel announces to Mary that she will bring forth a son, and she shall call his name Jesus. And, and so in terms of human history, uh, the Christmas account in Luke and in Matthew, where we read today and we sang about today, is certainly that's where the plan begins to commence. But do you know where the plan originated? Where was the plan uh, originally um, conceived? When was that announced originally? What is the beginning of Christmas? And today's title of the, of the sermon is the Genesis of Christmas. Genesis means beginnings. And so if you wanted to find the beginning of Christmas, we must go to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. So go to Genesis chapter 3 if you have your Bibles with you. Genesis chapter 3. Um, by this point, the Lord has created heaven and earth, right? Sun, moon, stars, land, sky, cattle, humans. But by the time you get to chapter 3, something tragic takes place, and we're going to look at that here. You might be thinking, well, how does Christmas begin here? Hold tight, you will see. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden." Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning, God. We thank you that we have this amazing passage before us today. And Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us as we dig into your word, reveal your truth today. Lord, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Now, what I've just read is probably not commonly read at Christmas. It's, it's uh, known as the fall passage, and I don't mean the season, autumn, uh, fall. I'm speaking about the fall of the human race, the fall of the human race into sin. Mankind, because of disobedience to God's clear commands, fell from his original condition. Now, there's a, a catechism of questions that the church has put together. It's simply just a question and answer of, of uh, a way for us to understand Scripture. And question 10 is this, how did God create man? And the answer, God created man, male and female, in his own image, and in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. The fall, then, refers to mankind falling from that condition, that condition of knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, into a condition of sin and misery, cut off from fellowship with God. And so God here, we see what he starts to do. He starts to deal out punishment to everyone involved. He begins here with the serpent, and then we didn't go further, but in verse 16, the, uh, the woman, verse 17, the man. But the writer of Genesis does not elaborate on the thoughts, what people were thinking during this time. They doesn't kind of give us the, uh, the, the serpent, the background there. You're curious about those kind of things. We don't have that. In fact, the narrative is written in a way that really, it really leaves us with the impression that it's not really about these characters at all. That's, it's not about these individuals. Rather, they are representatives, um, representatives of the heads of their races. The serpent, on the one hand, and the man and the woman on the other. And at first, the enmity is said to have been between the snake and the woman, woman right? We read that. But then the enmity is said to extend, to extend between two seeds. It says the seed of the snake and the seed of the woman. And then the enmity that exists between these two seeds will culminate in a final conflict where one seed receives a crushing blow to the head and the other seed only receives a blow to the heel. Confusing. What is the meaning of the enmity of the seeds and the, the crushing blow? What is, what is all this about? Here we will see the genesis of Christmas. Three things I'm going to point out to you, and it'll be rather brief. We're going to see the pronounced conflict, the perpetual struggle, and the promised victory. First, the pronounced conflict here at the beginning of verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Enmity is just a Hebrew word for hatred, hostility. Where peace and tranquility once reigned, right, between mankind and between all of God's creation, uh, now there would be hatred, there would be hostility. A conflict uh, that between the two would begin here. Now keep in mind that this is the part of the judgment that's upon the serpent, not the woman. If you read in verse 14, he says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Now, if you remember, the serpent was described back in verse 1 as cunning, wasn't he? Cunning. But now, all of a sudden, he's cursed. He's gone from cunning to cursed. And notice that he is not just cursed, but he's cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field, which means everything was cursed. Everything received a curse that day, but the serpent received a greater curse. You're cursed more than everything else. On that day, all of creation fell under the curse. And so we not only find ourselves as, as human beings fallen, but we also find the entire creation fallen. And, and in fact, in verse 17, when he goes on to sort of 
give the judgment against Adam, you see a clue of it there. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. The ground was even cursed. And Paul elaborates that on that. In Romans chapter 8, verse 20, he says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. In there, Paul describes the effects of the curse. The creation was cursed. It, cursed, it was cursed so deeply that it actually groans to be released from the bondage that it's under. And we ourselves, we groan. We, we can't wait to be released from the bondage that we are under. The curse affected all of creation. Why do we have a COVID-19 today? Because of the curse. We live in a fallen, cursed world. And that's why, for the Christian, the curse answers the most important questions of life that people ask you. Why is there evil in the world? Why is there suffering and death? Why is there a COVID-19? Because mankind fell into a condition of sin and misery. That's the curse. But the curse for the serpent, just backing up a bit, carried some specific consequences. On your belly you shall go. You saw that, right? You Well, yeah, snakes go on their bellies. Well, some think that as a result of that statement, the snake was originally created upright, that he had legs and he walked around, and now he would be brought low. And that may be, but I think the primary meaning of the curse comes from the next phrase, you shall eat dust all the days of your life. You ever use that phrase when you're sort of beating your friend in an erase or something? Eat my dust, right? The idea is that you're the victor, but it is the serpent who will be eating dust. And the idea that's carried in Scripture is that he'll be in total defeat. And that we see in Micah chapter 7, it's used the same way. Verse 16, the nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall put their hand over their mouth, their ears shall be deaf, they shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall crawl from their holes like snakes of the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of you. There, the nations are in total defeat. Do you see that? They rely upon their might, but once faced with the glory of the Lord, they eat dust like a serpent. Isaiah 65 uses it as well. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. What kind of world where you see a wolf and a lamb feeding together? Yeah, the wolf will be feeding on the lamb, right? This speaks of, of creation being redeemed. There is a future day where the wolf and the lamb will actually eat together. Notice the next part. The lion shall eat straw like an ox rather than eating the ox. But notice who doesn't get out of the curse. And dust shall be the serpent's food. You see, the curse upon the serpent is eternal. All the days of your life you shall eat dust. This curse, sometimes people say, is just meant to communicate that mankind will always be afraid of snakes. That may be. My brother's deathly afraid of them. <laughs> I love it. But the serpent, it's not about that. The serpent is representative of someone else. In Revelation chapter 12, you see a vision of the future. A great dragon comes out, right? And the dragon was cast out, and that serpent of old 
called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. Revelation, John, the author, tells us that that dragon was actually the serpent of old. And what does the serpent do? Deceives the whole world. Deceived Adam and Eve, and he continues to deceive. And so Satan, Satan is the one in view here. And the hatred will be between Satan and the woman. The conflict begins right there in the garden. But it continues. It continues as a perpetual struggle. It it wasn't just the garden and they face it. We face it today. The perpetual struggle. Look at verse 15 again, the second half. It says, and between your seed and her seed. It's not just between two individuals, but two races. Your seed, he says, speaking to Satan. So the seed of Satan. Your seed, her seed, he says, the seed of the woman. And what is meant by seed? It just means the offspring. The conflict that began in the garden would continue. Satan opposes mankind, has always opposed mankind, and he opposes God's plan of salvation. That's crystal clear in Scripture. Early on, you see that happening. You see Satan appearing uh, uh, against Israel, standing up against Israel. He moves David to number Israel. You wouldn't think that's much of a sin, but it just showed that David relied upon his strength of numbers. And when he numbered his people... Um, God punished him for it. But we're told in that passage that Satan stood up against Israel in that act. Satan came before God and accused his servant Job that the only reason Job was faithful was because he treated him well. And so the testing that Job underwent really came about by the challenge issued by Satan. In Zechariah 3, we're told that uh, Joshua the high priest was standing before the angel of the Lord, and you know who else was standing there? Satan, ready to challenge Joshua the high priest. And so we have these, these, these pictures throughout the Old Testament of Satan challenging God's people, challenging the seed of the woman, and then the seed appears in the New Testament, Jesus. And who, who's on the scene right away? Satan, right? Satan meets Jesus in the wilderness and tries to tempt him to worship him. And Jesus says, away with you, Satan, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus tried to share about this struggle. He told a parable. He told a parable about the Word of God and how it's sown like seeds into the hearts of men. You remember the parable of the sower? And some seed fell by the wayside, and birds of the air came and devoured it. And the disciples didn't understand what the meaning was, and they asked him. And so later on, he explained to them. He said, well, these ones by the wayside, where the the Word is sown, when, when they hear, Satan comes immediately And he takes away the word that is sown in their hearts. Why? Because he's against God's plan of salvation. And he is the enemy of mankind. We're told that Satan entered Judas, didn't he? The minute that Judas set his heart to betray his master. Jesus told Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you. He wants to sift you like wheat. Satan knew how powerful Simon Peter would be as an instrumental, as a leader of the early church. And when Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, he met the risen Jesus who told Paul that he was going to send him to the Gentiles. And this is what it says in Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from, and here's the key, the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Satan has long opposed mankind, but our conflict is not only with Satan, but you know, with the seed of Satan, right? With your seed, he said. Who are the seed of Satan? Well, Jesus talked about this in John 8, 44. He said this, you are of your father, the devil, 
and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, Jesus said that to his own people. He said that to the Jews. He boldly proclaimed their true heritage as being of the devil. Why? Why did he say that to the Jews? Because Satan had deceived them into following a false works-based system of religion rather than follow the Messiah. And that's what Satan continues to do today. So what did he mean by that? What do you mean by the seed of Satan? I know this sounds harsh, but what, what Jesus was saying with all unbelievers, right, are under the power of Satan. He speaks of them as the seed of Satan. And the conflict between the two seeds you see right away in Genesis, because Eve, she has a child, doesn't she? Cain, firstborn. She has another one, Abel, right? And while they are both of Eve, right away you can see they're of different seeds spiritually. Because Cain did not have faith in God, and because he uh, didn't have faith in God, he brought a bloodless offering. He came to God and approached him in his own way, in, in the matter he wanted to, and his offering was not accepted. Abel brought the required blood offering, and his sacrifice was accepted. And the reason is you cannot approach God on your own terms. You cannot say, I'm going to come to him how I want to. Cain did. And so the enmity is seen right away because Cain killed his brother Abel as a result of the curse and the conflict of the scenes. They were born of the same woman, but they were of different spiritual seeds. And that conflict has been continued throughout uh, human history. Satan has done everything he can to lead men astray. He snatches the way the, way the gospel from people the minute it starts to take seed in their hearts. And this is why we're told the 2 Corinthians chapter 4 but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Satan does not want the gospel to shine on you. He wants to keep people in bondage. He wants to keep the gospel veiled. He wants to keep their eyes blinded. He opposes all mankind, but especially he opposes the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman is seen in Scripture as those who are children of promise. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul talks about that as well. Children of promise. Now, this might seem really dark, really gloomy. You might be like, this is a great message, Pastor. There is a reason there's such great joy in what we sang about, because there's got to be a gloomy picture ahead. The gloomy picture was that. The world has fallen into sin, and you have a great enemy. His name is Satan. But did you notice the promised victory in the passage we read? Because there is promised victory. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, notice we switch suddenly to singular pronouns here, right? God had just said that there would be enmity between your seed, speaking to Satan, and her seed, speaking of Eve. Then he says, he shall bruise your head. Who is he? He is the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent, but the serpent will bruise the heel. Well, what's the big deal about a bruise? Well, bruise in Hebrew is shuf, and it means to crush or break. That's a big deal, <laughs> right? We get a bruise, we think oh, a little black and blue. They meant crushing, breaking. One seed would receive a crushing wound on the heel. The other would receive a crushing blow to the head. 
But who or what is this referring to? Well, the answer comes through the seed. Notice again that it will be a, a he who is the, the seed of the woman. Does that confuse anyone? Because a woman, as far as I know, doesn't have a seed. The man does. Every human being that's been born on this planet has come about by the seed of a man, not a seed of a woman. But this person, this one, is going to come through the seed of a woman. What can that be speaking about? It can only be speaking about the virgin birth. Through the virgin Mary, Christ came to this earth, not by the seed of a man. He was conceived by what? The Holy Spirit. Who, right? And his mission was clear. He was the one to come and crush the head of Satan. When you go to Genesis and you come to Genesis 3.15, what you are looking for as you read through the rest of it, if you are on top of this, you are looking for the serpent crusher. Okay, the serpent crusher is prophesied. Who's it going to be? And as you're reading, it looks like it's going to be this guy. and oh, it's going to be coming through Judah. And you're reading, you get excited. And we know that the problem is sin. The problem is Satan. The problem is man's fallen state. But there's a promised serpent crusher, and he's going to be coming into the world. And he came. He came. He comes in a manner that we might not really expect. He comes as a, not a conquering hero, ready to stomp on the head of a serpent. He comes as a helpless baby. And right away, Satan recognizes it, tries to kill him, doesn't he? But he fails. Tries to take his life. Jesus is allowed to grow into adulthood, but then he still dies. He still dies on a cross. Just seems like a weird story. Then what, what happened? Did Satan win there? What, what, is, what is going on? No, no. That was the bruising of the heel, right? It wasn't a crushing blow to Jesus. Why? Because he rose from the dead. And his death brought about the victory. Let me show you Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. And as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Through death, what a plan, only conceived in the might of God. Through death, Jesus won. Because his life wasn't taken, it was given. He demonstrated that he had power over death. John chapter 10, verse 17, he said, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I've received from my Father. He gave it. He gave his life. And then he took it back up. And he lives today. And one day he will return and he will finish Satan off. And Paul writes about that. He says in Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Jesus' victory over sin and the curse that came about through Satan's uh, deceit was won on the cross. But we celebrate Christmas. That's the entry point of the great serpent crusher. And we sing about what he came to do. Joy to the world, no more let, set, let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. That's the curse. He comes to make his blessings flow, for as the curse is found, curse has got nothing on his blessings. We sing about it. O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, O rod of Jesse's stem. Why are we singing about Jesse's stem? Because he was, we're looking for the seed of the woman. From every foe, deliver them that trust your mighty power to save. Bring them in victory through the grave. How do you bring someone victory through the grave? Jesus did. He was bruised on the heel, but he rose victorious. 
Hark the herald angels sing, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, Hail the Son of Righteousness, Light and life to all he brings, Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lay his glory by, Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, Born to give them second birth. You see, Jesus came to give us new birth, new life. And not just us, the creation. The creation will have a new life. There will be a new creation. He's going to redeem all from the curse. So Christmas didn't begin when the angel came and whispered something in Mary's ear. Christmas began in the garden. Incredible, is it not? That there in the worst news you could get, (laughs) serpent, you're doomed, Eve, you're doomed, man, you're doomed, but I have a promised victory. The promised seed would come and he would crush the head of Satan. Oh, we have much to sing about today. And just quoting those lyrics from Hark the Herald Angels Sing, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to sing that together right now. 